Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Paper Kings, Part 9. I'm looking for a king who knows his place. Recorded Sunday, July 31st, 2022. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Scott with today's message. Well, we have been calling these messages, as you know, Paper Kings. Parker referenced that. We've been identifying many of the little G gods that get in the way of us worshiping the one true God. And the word for that is idolatry. Idolatry is when you put something before God. And later in the service, you see all this paper here. We're going to challenge you to step forward and to maybe just cast off something that's gotten in between you and God in your life. And we'll explain that more in the latter part of the service. But Jesus confronted all these little G's, and we've been obviously talking about this over the last two months. We've talked about things like selfishness and pride and, and how sometimes we think God exists to make us happy, how God should never disappoint me. Last week, we talked about something very dangerous that Jesus did. He called out those who had turned the temple into a marketplace if you remember in the story, he stopped the offerings and the sacrifices that had been for centuries brought into the temple because he had seen something in the temple that he, he couldn't stand no longer, and that is that his father's house had been turned into a marketplace. And so he stopped the priestly activities in the temple unheard of, unheard of. It was shocking. They were stunned. Because these sacrifices were the lifeblood of the Jewish religion and its worshipers. These had been commanded by Moses and carried out for centuries for most of those years. This was the religious code of the Jewish people. So what he did was radical when he turned over the tables, when he drove out the money changers, and when he stopped the sacrificial experience. So today we're going to finish this series with another paper king. It's a very dangerous one, and it's one that we're all prone to and we're tempted to quite frequently, and that is that somehow we think sometimes we should be able to put God in his place. I mean, do you ever remember a time when so many quote-unquote experts seem hell-bent on putting people in their place? I mean, do you ever remember a time when so many authority figures are telling us how to do things that we should know how to do and be stepping into, like raising our kids? Or epidemiologists telling us how to move and live as a society? And apparently, if you've had a few hit songs or made a couple good movies, or somehow you have a media badge, you have the authority or expertise to tell the rest of us how we should drive, eat, drink, think, do the environment, animal rights, human rights, whatever it is, because that you're an authority if you've done something successful like that. And so what I want to show you is this. We are always going to be conflicted with the questions like, do I obey the government or my conscience? Now, in most cases, we are to obey the government. But if it goes against our godly conscience, we have to be struggling with that. Which has authority, the word of God or the word of some actor or some media activist? 
And when I make big decisions, do I rely on the Twitterverse or do I turn into the Word of God? See, it's amazing to me how arrogant we can be to think that we have any right whatsoever to question the authority of God in the biggest sense to say, God, who do you think you are? That's what happens in this passage. Let's go into it. Mark chapter 11, verse 27. They arrived again in Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples. This is the third day in the march to the cross, third of six. They arrive in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking the temple courts, they met him. The chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you the authority to do this? Now, I, I guess I, I try to contemporize that question, those questions, how would they be asked today? And I think the question to Jesus is, who do you think you are? Or maybe another one would be like this, what gives you the right to, turn, to walk into my life and turn my life upside down? They were threat. This is not chit-chat. This, these were threats. They have come to put the peasant rabbi in his place. And he knew it because he set it up. He caused it. He provoked it. Because he wanted to bring them to the bare bedrock of their sin. And so they come in and they accuse him of something that he didn't have authority to do. And they wanted to put him in his place. And friend, I got to say that, you know, if we are going to get anything from this story, we have, to, we have to at least identify at some level with them because what we're trying to do is figure out this. Am I trying to define who God is or not? And do I think I have more authority to see how my life goes than he does? And to be honest, no person here or anywhere or there is the ultimate authority we are all accountable to something greater than ourselves. We just are. You can deny it, but there's always something or someone that compels us, and that's what we follow. That's what we line up with. That's what influences our decisions. It's how we deal with the question of ultimate authority, what's absolutely basic and fundamental. Now, these are powerful people that came to Jesus in their day. And so it's the chief priest, a man named Caiaphas, it's his father-in-law, who, who is as powerful as he. His name was Annas. And then there are these elders, and other scriptures say the scribes and Pharisees, or the scribes are the lawyers of the nation, okay? So I want you to think about this in our context. Just suppose that you were confronted with, uh, you know, the Secretary of State and uh, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court and the Department of Justice figurehead and, and, and then all the lawyers that come with him. That's what this was. It was a... It was a big deal for, for this confrontation. And they are there to put him in his place. So let's see what he does. Verse 29, Jesus replied, I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism. And it's like he's like, does the light come on with you fellows? John, remember him? the man that's now dead, that the king lopped off his head, the one that you didn't support, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. Now, believe me, this put them on their heels. This was a startling response. 
And, and what he is basically doing is turning the tables on them. And here's the thing. We have to see this too. You have to let God's authority be in the right place. There is an order for his authority. And these priests had forgotten that. Now, by the way, these guys knew all about ceremonial washing because they did it every day in various different ways. It was part of their religious culture. It was connected with their duties under the Levitical system. They were done legalistically. They were done in the temple. But now John was different. When John came, he didn't go to the temple to baptize. He went to the rivers and lakes, the rivers and streams that had enough water so he could immerse people. And it was a baptism of repentance of sin, which they didn't jump into. And so John's baptism, immediately it was met with skepticism by them because it didn't fall into their traditions. And so they discussed it among themselves, verse 31, and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, then they feared the people, for everyone held that John was a prophet. So they answered, mm, I don't know. We don't know. That was the, way, the easy way out. You ever do that? Like someone asks you a hard question, I don't know. Ask him. You know, that's kind of what they did. Jesus sees us on that, and he says, then neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. And that's just to say to them, because I'm the authority, and you don't recognize me. It's amazing. Like he realigns the authority tree in their life, at least he tried to. It's God, and it's the rest of us at some level, you know? So Jesus simplifies this, and, and I think what he does is what oftentimes he tries to do with us. He says, you know, there's essentials in the world that we should all agree on, and then there's non-essentials that, eh, whatever you think, okay, but I'm not bound to that. So I think about this in terms of, you know, we're, we're in a, a loose-knit group of churches in the world called the Restoration Movement. That means that we're independent churches, but we hold to some of the same core principles that the Bible lays out for us. And so we have this statement in the Restoration Movement. Maybe you've heard that. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty or freedom. And, but in all things, love. I think that's a pretty nice statement. I think it works. That means there are essentials. And I would say this, and I'm going to boil it down to one paragraph, so please, I know there's more, but the basic essentials look like this for a church like us and for a Christian. There is a God, Jesus is God, incarnate, who came into the world as a human being. During the last three, three and a half years of his life, he did things no other man on earth had ever done before to prove, in fact, that he is God in the flesh and the authority over all things. Those actions proved it. And so instead of giving him homage, these men who we're reading about today and others will reject him. The authorities will reject him. The government will reject him. The religious authorities will reject him. They will kill him. It's a crucifixion. I think you know the story. But that's not the end of the story, is it? On the third day after his crucifixion, he will raise from the dead. The miracle that will turn the world and the universe upside down forever. Amen. Amen? Amen. And, and, but it's not just that. 
He ascended to heaven in this picture. Remember, this, the story says he went up into the clouds. And there's something that's said to us in that movement of Jesus where he says, I am merging heaven and earth together. And that is my reclamation plan that I'm on now. And so he says in future things that he says, I want you to be a part of that. We are to reclaim the world for him, a new kingdom. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit working in the church. We are to make disciples. We're to, we're to make followers of, of all people. Essentials. Now, there's, again, you can name a few things that I left out. I get it. I understand that. But what falls into the category of non-essential? Everything else. I mean, pretty much everything that we may or may not agree on but has nothing to do with how a person is saved and how a th the authority tree is turned upside down, you know? So if it's one of those non-essentials, what we do with each other in the church is we say, well, brother, sister, I love you. I tip my hat to you, but that's not a rule I have to follow, okay? I'm not going to die on that hill. Things that aren't worth defending, aren't worth arguing over, aren't worth dividing over, aren't worth getting distracted by. And people do all the time get distracted by the non-essentials. Believe me, we deal with it every week in this church. But the temple was to be a gathering place for the nations. They had turned it into a feedlot to make profit. And what it boils down to is this. They came to him and says, and they say, who gave you the right to change this? Because authority is either from God or from man. And you're either trying to please God or you're trying to take care of yourself. Obey yourself. Be responsive to your own truth. Those things. They had that problem. Now, it's clear from their answer to Jesus that, you know, when he said, by what authority did John baptize it's clear that they didn't know the answer, or at least they claimed not to know the answer. It revealed that they really didn't care about what God was doing. They weren't interested in the truth that God was bringing to them. They didn't care about God's mission on earth to save the world, not just a, a small group of Jewish believers. They didn't care that people needed hope and Jesus was bringing it. They didn't care that lives were being changed by the power and glory of God on earth. And so Jesus said, well, if you don't care, based on my phraseology, well, I don't have to tell you then. Because you have not switched the authority tree from you. So he, I think that what, what he does is brilliantly, of course, he's the son of God on earth. He just tells them a story. And, and they got every word of the story, I promise you. They understood it. Here's the story that sums it all up. This is chapter 12, verse 1. Jesus began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it. He dug a pit for the wine press. He built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. So they would immediately recognize the story. It would be from, from the book of, of Isaiah, chapter 5 that talks about how Israel, the nation Israel, and the temple and all that, it's a wine press, like it's a situation where he built a temple, uh, he, he turned it over to people to manage it and to bear fruit. So I'm summarizing. To protect the vineyard, 
you know, the fruit, the Jewish leaders would immediately recognize he's talking about them and their ancestors, okay? And, and think about this in this story. The owner, God, in the story gave them everything they needed for success. He established the vineyard. He set up the watchtower, the, the walls around it that protected it. It was all given by him. He invited them to come in and bear fruit, to be a part of his fruit-bearing ministry. An incredible amount of patience and persistence is, is shown here. Look at what Jesus says in, in verse 2. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard, but they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. And the point is that for centuries, God had sent one person after another, prophets, to try to align the nation to God's heart. And every time they were rejected and beaten off. So it came down to sending his son as the, the one final opportunity. Verse 6, he had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. By the way, who would the son represent in this story? Who? Jesus. It's clear. But the tenants said to one another, the tenants would represent who? These people who are listening to the story who, who want to put him out. The tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. So, you know, think about it again. God called these people to success. He gave them the environment they needed to bear fruit, fruit that would last. And they got greedy, and they took over, and they made it their own, and they took authority from God. And that meant God had no other option. And so here's what it says in verse 9. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Jesus was under no delusions on what was coming for him. He knew that he would lose his life in, into their hands, into their greedy hands. He predicted all that in this parable. But can you imagine the boldness and daring of Jesus who in a very clear way threw this parable right in their face, knowing what was to come? And, and so then really what he's saying in this story, as I think you've probably figured out, he is the owner of the vineyard. He's the rightful heir to the, to the people who are his own. He's the one. He's the king. He's the cornerstone. And that's matter what he says in verse 10. Have you not read this scripture? The stone the builders rejected, your forerunners, you yourselves have rejected. Well, he's become the cornerstone. And who has done this? The Lord has done this. You're playing into my hands, boys. And is it marvelous to see it? He's saying, look, your time's up. The cornerstone's here. God's temple's going to be made new. I'm the heir to that temple. I'm the son. You killed the prophets, you're going to kill me. You're on borrowed time because I'm coming back and it's going to be made new. And he makes it crystal clear. And they got the message because verse 12 says, then the chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd because wouldn't you be if you knew that they were following him? So they left him 
and went away for now. And it all happened. It all happened the way Jesus said it would in this story. And he would prove himself to be right, and it would turn them upside down. The power and authority of people like Annas and Caiaphas and the ruling class of Judaism, 40 years later, the Romans will storm into Jerusalem. They will, they will demolish the city. They will, they will turn it into rubble. They will take all the priesthood out of Jerusalem that survived that, and they will be scattered to the nations because they would not yield authority to God. You and I can make the same mistake. And if we choose to stay in authority, there will be a day when he will turn us upside down too because he will not have a God before him. This is a lesson to us. The lesson is that God is the one and only one who has the right to call the shots. And human authority is ultimately called to judgment by God. They came to put Jesus in his place. They left knowing their doom. They would not yield their lives to him. Some of them turned around after the resurrection, a few. That doesn't have to be our mistake. You know, J.B. Phillips, he's an old-time commentator, writes this. Remember that the powers that be will soon be the powers that have been. And I would just want to say, we're going to move into this time. We always commune at this time of our service where we come together around the table that Jesus established. We call it the communion of the Lord's Supper, we call it. And it's a time when we just focus our lives back to the center of all things, which is Christ the one who has authority over all things. And so when we take that bread and that cup, we are just reminding ourselves and him we're still on board with his reclamation project to create a new kingdom, and we want to be a part of it. So we're going to do that, and then Taylor's going to come up and explain to you how the next part of our service is going to go. And it's going to give you an opportunity basically to, to look into yourself and just to identify with God's help. Is there some form of little G God I've been worshiping that I've got to get rid of. So I want to challenge you with that as we talk about what's coming up. I want to ask you these two questions. I feel like these are just the two questions that help us reorder him to the top of the authority tree. Here's the first question. What needs to change so that he can claim authority in my life? What needs to change and my guess is, if there is something, you've thought about it almost immediately. And then here's the second question. What paper king kings need to be discarded, need to be thrown away, so that he can be top? So for you, over the last eight weeks, or even just this morning, my guess is that something has been weighing on your heart and so we've got this opportunity. We've got all these uh, dream catchers, these paper kings up here that our Connect program put together for us as a service project, like something like 900 of these. And so there is one for you. And in reality, you probably have something that you could put here. And so we want to take this opportunity over the next two songs to do this. 
There's Sharpies up here. If you want to write on one, something that, that you want to give to God, that you want to leave at the foot of the cross to say, no, God, you are the king. This thing that I've been worshiping without even realizing it, I need to leave here for you. I need to give this to you. Or maybe for you, you want to take it home. You want to take one, you want to write on it. You want to keep it with you as a reminder. Whatever you want to do, sometime during these next two songs, we want to give you that opportunity. Uh, it's about 10 minutes, so don't feel like you have to come up right away. Uh, but we just want to give you that opportunity. And so we're going to sing a song, we're going to sing a couple songs, and we're going to do that. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Call us at 308-384-5038 or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.